This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. April Fools, Andrew. Oh no, we have. Uh, what, what? I fooled you. We have to do a podcast. That's not. No, we already. No, that was already happening. Oh, if you so if you told me we didn't have to do a podcast and you've been like, psych, we do still. That would have been a good April Fool. I feel like you don't understand how April Fools works. Mm, psych, welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Are you pranked yet? Are you punked? Are you goofed? Do you feel pranked? I wake up every morning and I feel pranked. (laughs) This is coming out on April 2nd, so presumably all the corporations already pranked you yesterday. Oh, yeah. And probably KFC was like, oh, we don't, we do burgers now. And Dairy Queen was like, oh, come and get a hot blizzard. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Ooh, that's a good one. Hot blizzards. (laughs) Hot blizzards. Like a warm ice cream soup. Come get a steaming hot ice cream mess Ah. at Dairy Queen. Ah. April Fools. April Fools. Uh, Let's not talk about this, the day that companies ruined now. It was better when it was just about like pranking your kids or something. Yeah, we're... Or your friends when you were nine. Because you know what was good about those pranks is that some of them were mysteries. Ooh, very mysterious. Like the book. This this ties into the thing. Like the book that I read for this week's show, Mm -hmm. A is for Alibi by Sue Grafton. By Sue Grafton. Mm -hmm. Do you want to know about Sue Grafton? Do you know about her already? Have you heard the good news? (laughs) (laughs) I've been aware of Sue Grafton, and I thought about doing her for the show when she recently passed away uh, last December, December yeah, 2017. December 2017. Um, so I'd always, I'd seen these book covers in like bookstores for years um, in, in this alphabet mystery series. Yeah, so she's best known, if you don't, if you're not aware of Sue Grafton somehow, she's best known for the alphabet series of, of crime novels, which is all, it's all about this one uh, character, uh, Kinsey Milhone. Yep. Um, and she, Sue Grafton has been writing these books and publishing them since 1982. Yep. Um, and the last one came out just last August. It was called Why is for Yesterday. Um, but unfortunately, because of complications related to her cancer, she was not able to uh, finish or even really do much work at all on the planned last book, uh, Z is for Zero, which had a 2019 publication date uh, when she died. And, and apparently it was it was not far along enough even to be like filled out and, and ghostwritten. So her her daughter, uh, Jamie Clark, in uh, Grafton's death announcement wrote um as far as we in the family are concerned the alphabet now ends at y so really sad it's really it's really a bummer like to get 25 out of 26 yeah. level letters and then not to be able to finish it up i know it's not 
probably not like a hyper serialized series of of novels or anything but no she i don't know i read a couple interviews with her where she like she was on the press tour for why is for yesterday like talking and people were asking her like what are you gonna do when you finish and she's saying like you know i don't know maybe i'll just be done maybe i'll write some standalone kinsey novels maybe i'll just retire yeah, I, I I remember reading that she didn't want to like box herself into doing another giant like themed series again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's my understanding that like there is slow, like glacial growth in Kinsey among the novels. Kind of the point is that you could just kind of pick one up and and dive in. Yeah, um, that was but but it was something that um Grafton like she said. That one one of the things she noticed in male written crime fiction was that it was all about just the crime and none of the stuff that sure. happened ever really left much of an impact on any of the protagonists. So um, she wanted to make Kinsey a little bit different in that she emotionally reacted and like absorbed the impact of all the stuff that happened to her over the course of many books. And I, I don't know how that how that plays out if you're if you've written if you've read all 25 of these, but that was her one of her stated purposes yeah. in in writing this book around this character. I found an article written in 1985 in the New York Times by Marilyn Stasio called Lady Gumshoes Boiled Less Hard. <laughs> and it is about a wave of women authors doing crime fiction, detective fiction, cop fiction of which Grafton I think was maybe three or four books into this series at that point um so yeah she that's where some of these quotes from her about uh most of the hard-boiled male detectives go through murder and mayhem and it has absolutely no impact on their personalities I find it more interesting to see what the constant exposure to violence and death really does to a human being um and they think good I don't think nothing good no Uh, And that whole article is really like it's this wild like snapshot of the 80s where like we're talking we're both identifying a need to maybe unpack this or undo this like loner dude detective figure and like can women do it maybe how will it be different women are doing it like it's like (laughs) what and then they're all doing a bunch of cocaine too yeah because it's the 80s yeah and it's it's like it's also this interesting like one guy uh here's a quote and men writers in the field aren't very encouraging women don't fit well into a trench coat and a slouch hat says lawrence block shut (laughs) up lawrence larry what are you doing and then he goes on to talk about how like women aren't traditionally cynical loners which is part of the myth of this private eye so he thinks that they will have to change what's like the quote goes on to be this kind of like okay maybe we'll just evolve the form based on who's writing it and that's cool but why you gotta start with like women can't wear trench coats why do you have to start with the same justification that's been given to keep every marginalized population out of everything yeah like you you'd you uh you you, like i was i was listening geez i wish i could remember the podcast it was i think it was um this is love which is the sort of short offshoot podcast Uh, folks behind criminal did Mm -hmm. and they were interviewing this author this uh black woman who wrote a bunch of uh, black romance novels Mm. and when she was trying to get her start 
everyone was telling her, hey, there's no market for this. There's no market for this, so we can't buy it. But the reason there is no market for it is because it didn't exist. And yeah. like, if you build it, they will come. And so it's, it's been... Uh, I'm going to look up her name okay. real quick while you keep talking. Yeah, and I'll just share another interesting part from this uh, from the Stasio article from 1985. Wow. Uh, also talks about how like a new generation of professional of women professionals, both in the crime field and just in general, like led to a an increased kind of market for these books and b uh, a more diverse set of viewpoints, just interested in these topics and uh, interested enough to write about them. So it it was just an interesting little snapshot into where you know crime fiction as we understand it going back to Raymond Chandler and and before um, sure. comes from who are you talking about who you um, want to share? Brent, Brenda Jackson Brenda is Jackson. the author okay. and she is the the subject of episode three of the podcast This Is Love so okay. um, I, I thought it was a, it's a really interesting little little show so, so the other thing about Grafton um, I don't know what you found out this Andrew is that her father was also a a mystery novelist. Yeah, so C.W. Grafton, such a good uh, no relation to the television network, <laughs> <laughs> um, wrote four crime novels that, uh, like, one of them won an award, but I don't think any of them were like massively successful or, sure. or influential. Um, now, her dad did uh, teach her like the writing and editing process, um, and I don't. But but her parents were also both like alcoholics. So yeah, and her, I don't her know. mom. She had she had kind of a mixed bag of a, a home life. As yeah, I her mom passed away like in 1960 after like cancer, and her dad. I, I think her dad passed. Uh, her dad passed like in right before two yeah. four months before A is for Alibi came out. Yeah. Now this was not her first published novel ever. She had written. Um, seven a total of seven novels of mm-hmm. which two were published yep um and then the other five manuscripts were destroyed and then put them in the uh, circular file yeah put them in the old circular file and then uh, grafton went and wrote screenplays and did some adaptations including a couple of Ag- agatha christie yeah books mm-hmm. um and did that for for quite a while until and and she credits um, the screenwriting process and working in Hollywood as like helping her get better at like dialogue and get better at like dramatic arcs. Like when she was ready to come back to fiction, her experience had really helped her out a lot, but she also did not have like a super great view of Hollywood or of no. adaptations. Um, she said that if her children ever sold the TV or film rights to her books after she died, that her ghost would haunt them. <laughs> Yeah, I think there have been like one or two TV movies in Japan of all places of of some of her books, but right, but only of a couple early ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a 2013 interview she did with the Minneapolis Star Tribune uh, on the W is for Wasted tour, <laughs> um, and she says, "Ask me if I'd ever sell the film or TV rights to these books." No, I would not. I would never let those clowns get their hands on my work. They'd ruin it for everyone, me more than most. <laughs> so no thanks. Thanks, Sue. Uh, and she started in um, not long after, started in on these novels right after she uh, her second marriage ended 
um, which was like a protracted divorce that she has referenced in inspiring. It took like six years, yeah. A for Alibi, where she f- would go to sleep at night, like fantasizing about like killing him, just because it was so frustrating and and such a bad situation. And you can listen s- if you can get some creative inspiration out of that <laughs> instead of murdering somebody, yeah. then like go for it. And you know? and you know we we go back and forth on on some books where like sometimes it's really useful to to talk about how the author's biography inserts into the fiction and sometimes it's a bit of a red herring I, she has given enough interviews over time to be like kinsey is sort of me if i never had kids and like did had get... married young and yeah yeah um, she got married the first time when she was 18 oh yeah um kinsey right. is divorced but she doesn't have any kids um and i there's another good quote where she's like yeah i decided not to to age her as I was aging, like when she first wrote her, she was like, I think Grafton was 42 and Kinsey's 32. Yeah. When I started, she was 32 and I was 42, Ms. Grafton said, and now she's 39 and I'm 77, which I just do not think is fair. <laughs> her, um, her New York Times obituary from December is a, is a pretty good read and has oh, a lot sure. of this background information in it. Um, and the books themselves, she got the titles. This will probably be the the last bit of our opening section here. She got the titles, well, the inspiration for them from a, a gore, an Edward Gorey book called The Gashley Crumb Tinies, which is a picture book about a bunch <laughs> of kids who die. Mm-hmm. And like their names all start with the letter of the thing, like Barnaby is killed by bears or something. It sounds like an early garbage pail kid sort of. <laughs> yeah, vibe. sure. Uh <laughs> And so uh, she read that book and then immediately just made a list of all the crime words that she could think of. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there's like precedent for uh, novelists, like especially in genre series or crime series, like linking all of their titles with a motif so that she was inspired by that. Um, yeah, her dad's books, like the first two of them used... Uh, lines from the same nursery rhyme. And oh, there was like okay. a, there was a manuscript for a third that would have kept doing the same thing. Interesting. Which is interesting. Um, so yeah, A is for Alibi, uh, and then she won two Anthony Awards, which is a crime novel uh, group, um, for B for Burglar and C for Corpse uh, in 86 I and went, 87. I wrote, so I did, you asked me not to look up all the names to all <laughs> yeah. the books, which was hard to, it was hard, going to be hard to do. Sure, sure. So, before I sat down to research, I wrote down different. I wrote a different crime word for every letter of the alphabet, and I just kind of want to see if I got any of them right. Oh, that's oh, that's great! I have the I have her full list up in front of me, and you just go for it. Okay, so I have for B. What did you say B was? Burglar. I wrote battery, like like assault, assault. battery. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Uh, my C C is for crime. <laughs> okay. Not corpse. Not corpse. Okay, now you tell me. I guess you tell me the real one, and I'll tell you my okay. D is for deadbeat. Uh, Danger. (laughs) E is for evidence. I wrote error, like because a crime is like an error. Sure. F is for fugitive. Fighting. G is for gumshoe. Gun. (laughs) H is for homicide. I wrote hunger. Like what? What? Like a sort of dark. Sort of <laughs> crime hunger. I is for innocent. Ice pick. J is for judgment. Jealousy. That's a good one. I buy that. Yeah. K mm-hmm. is for killer. 
Oh, killers with a okay, S. good. L. All right, so I'm one for one for eleven so far. L is for lawless larceny. <laughs> M is for malice manslaughter. N is for noose night court. <laughs> o is for not out- the show. Out- o is for outlaw order in the court. O is for order in the court. Yeah. Get out of here. P Did is... she do any that were like phrases? No, they're all one word. They're all one word. Okay. P is for peril. Punching. Q is for quarry. Quarrel. I like quarry. that. I like yours better. R is for Did rico- she, is this a, They found a body in the quarry? Yeah. All right. R is for ricochet. Red rum. Mm. Murder backwards. S is for silence. Skeleton. <laughs> T is for trespass. Time travel. I figured by T she would be getting a little adventure. It was 2007. Like yeah, things genre. are getting weird. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. U is for undertow. Uh, Ukraine? Thought maybe like a foreign policy sort of? Like a Tom Clancy kind of crossover. Yeah, book. Yeah, 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 yeah. V is for vengeance. Vitamin deficiency. <laughs> You're just getting silly now. W is no. for wasted. Witness. That's a good one. X was just titled X. Oh, I had x-rays? <laughs> Good. Like you do an x-ray of some bones that got hurt? She said it was either going to be xenophobe or xenophobia, and she didn't like it, and she was pretty sure that xylophones weren't illegal, so she just called it X. Sure, that's fine. And, and then why I already knew was Y is for yesterday, is for so yesterday. I didn't write one down. Okay, so you got one right. I got one for 25. <laughs> <laughs> Though quarrel, I think, is better than quarry. Yeah. I like and jealousy I would read, and judgment I would read, is fine. Mm-hmm. I would read T is for time travel and S is for skeleton. S is for skeleton is pretty good. What G is for gun? Yeah. That's really good. G is for gun. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. <laughs> Andrew, we have an announcement. What is it? I know already. I'm just playing. Related to our Patreon project, which is how listeners who really care about the show can donate their hard-earned bucks to help the show continue and grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, What changes did we make? What news do we have? I thought you were telling me. (laughs) I'll tell you. (laughs) No, it's cool. I got it. Uh, So we made a couple of changes to our donation tiers so we got a, a couple new things one is a um a three dollar tier that gets you show notes so every every week when we do the show contrary to what you might think based on how the podcast usually goes we do research notes and we write stuff down and, and we thought i don't know maybe we put them up there let you guys read them yep it seems cool uh, raw behind the scenes content um, and then we've we've changed. So normally, when you donate five dollars a month, you can recommend a book, and that gets it on a list of things. Like we we also keep a list of books that just regular people recommend, and we will go through that every once in a while if we are having trouble filling a month out. But um, but the the issue with with this reward is that it's been so popular, and this is a good problem to have. But it's been so popular that we add books to that list as fast or faster than we can clear them off. Yes. And so everybody who has been donating at the $5 level before now still gets to recommend a book. Like you still get the thing that you are paying for, but um, new people will uh, need to jump up to the $7 tier. Um, 
And then for for five dollar people, because that has been our most popular tier for so long, we are now going to start sending out links when we record our bonus episodes. So you can come and watch us do that and hang out in the chat and ask us questions in real time. Um, We've been doing that for a while with a smaller group and it's been fun, but uh, we thought it would be even more fun with a larger audience. So to make good for the folks who were previously giving ten dollars to hang out with us on bonus episodes, we are going to give them exclusive early access to stop Homer time. This is a very exciting announcement. A show within a show where we read and chat about part of the Odyssey every month. Uh, $10 folks will also get the personalized postcard that we've sent out to some folks already. Um, yeah, so this is weird. It's going to be a little different than the normal format. We're going to be reading, um, I think, two books of Emily Wilson's new translation of the Odyssey at a time. Yep. And releasing those to those $10 patrons every month. And then... Um, to the public feed, those will eventually be released as like we'll, compilation. We'll edit, edit a couple yeah. of them together and put them out every every other month or so. But um, but so yeah, everyone yeah. will eventually get to listen, but only ten dollar patrons get them when they like as they actually come out. And then that that's obviously the best way to uh, kind of give us feedback and and weigh in on the episodes as they're happening and kind of be a part of that process. So if that's something that interests you, please join us at that reward level and. Yeah. As always, we've got the uh, project plug at $25 or more. A couple folks have used that. You'd stay up there for two months, and then we will give you uh, some reads for whatever project you're working on on the show. It's worked successfully in the past, and we welcome folks joining us in the future. I think that's yeah, it, Andrew. So, we just yeah, wanted that, to make sure everything. people knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and since we started the Patreon thing up, I think, what was it, like three years ago? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been really successful and it's enabled us to do all kinds of stuff. We bought tons of equipment. We've done live shows we would not have been able to do. Um, we are, you know, we, we can read all kinds of stuff that we would have had to go out of pocket for before. So, yeah, we I don't know. It's, it's been really, it's been really flattering. It continues to be. <laughs> and has definitely like helped improve the show overall. So um, we couldn't do it without you guys. And if you are considering joining the Patreon, thank you in advance. And um, that's patreon.com slash overdue pod. That's what it is. That's the mm-hmm. URL. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Craig, I oh no, I did a murder. Can you, but you're my friend. Can you be my alibi when right. the cops come and ask about this murder they got that somebody did? Is this podcast and thus the rest of our backlog gonna be submitted for? Editing? No, this is no, this is inadmissible because you cannot compel podcast co-hosts to testify against each other. <laughs> okay, sure. Also, this podcast is like a spoiler for your crime, which means like no one should kind listen of, to yeah. it before the trial. Ooh, or we could just be like, oh, you don't, you should really read A's for Alibi before you listen to the show so we can't let you submit this to evidence because it'll ruin the book for everybody that's true that's true that's true yeah uh yeah it's crime there will be some spoilers later in the episode i'm gonna try to be really clear about when i'm talking about this because it is a murder mystery and and i assume figuring out the mystery is like part of the reason to read it maybe not all the reason but part of the reason yeah and so there's like two or three big reveals of information that i will that i do want to talk about uh because i think it actually for me is like oh that's why stuff like that is why i would want to read the rest of this series um so i will try to be clear about when i'm going to go into that territory 
though I don't think it would ultimately ruin the reading of the book. Sure. Um, in, in retrospect. So the book opens. <clears throat> it's in first person. My name is Kinsey Milhone. I'm a private investigator licensed by the state of California. I'm 32 years old, twice divorced, no kids. The day before yesterday, I killed someone, and the fact weighs heavily on my mind. I'm really glad that she told us that she had been <coughs> licensed first, though. Like, that's yeah. really, I'm really concerned about proper licensing <laughs> of people and businesses. Yeah. And so, like, her as a private investigator is this, like, uh, I don't really think about the mechanics of how that works very often. Um, what and do you mean? Of, like, the fact that that might be a licensed job. Like, you got to take your PI test or whatever? Yeah. She references getting being trained as a cop at one point and she does like have a gun that i suppose is i reckon is registered and she has to like file these reports so the book is written i think as if it were a report that she were filing now obviously it's like i i wonder if people around the office are like kinsey you keep turning in these novels we're just asking (laughs) for what happened uh we have to read these big novels that you're writing um and so it does end with like a signed epilogue from her, like mm-hmm. after the events of the book have taken place. Um, and I'll try also along the way to point out like a couple things that are or become like recurring characters or, or hallmarks of the series because I read like a brief summary, like a fake autobiography of Kinsey <laughs> and oh like name checked a couple of the things that, that we encounter in this book. So... She lives in uh, Santa Teresa, California. Which I believe is a fictionalized version of Santa Barbara, right? Yes, correct. Um, She's taken inspiration from another uh, crime author, Ross MacDonald, who is a hard-boiled California detective writer um, who's similarly like disguised where stuff takes places. But I I suppose if you knew Santa Barbara, you would just be like, yeah, okay, that's that's what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. the book opens, she's, you know, she talks, she killed someone. Okay, well, we're going to look forward to that, see what happens there. Well, and what's her alibi? That's what I'm worried about, because I'm just waiting for that title to hit. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, there's a woman named Nikki Fife standing outside her office, and she immediately recognizes Nikki Fife as a woman who went to jail eight years ago for the murder of her husband. Okay. And her husband was a big shot divorce lawyer named Lawrence Fife, and... Kinsey remembers the trial, remembers like the different players in the case. I believe her contact in the homicide department, uh, Condolan, which is a great detective name. Condolan. Condolan. Uh, it's like that, like condol, like condolence, condolences. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's that, but now I can't unhear it. That's it's see how could it not be that because that's such a weird name otherwise. <laughs> uh, he was like one of the, obviously he was detective on that case, so Kinsey had kind of a front row seat to the trial and and knew. I think she had done some PI work for Mister Fife in his like he was a kind of known as a killer divorce lawyer. Like he would dig up <laughs> stuff that would like make it really bad for and the, he would and he would kill people. No, no, 
He was just really good. He was just a really good divorce lawyer. He was a really good divorce lawyer. Okay. Though at one point she says he was also a a killer in a different way, and that's because he Like a lady killer? Yeah, he was a serial philanderer. So (laughs) he has an ex-wife, or had an ex-wife named Gwen, who he had two kids with, and then this woman, Nikki Fife, who was sent to jail for his murder, he had another kid with. And Nikki Fife's, this is a thing that I don't think. <laughs> Your voice just went up so high. I don't so think the fast. book ever sufficiently explains this uh, part where Nikki spent eight years in jail for murdering her husband. And now uh-huh. she's out on parole. Okay. That seems like not enough time to have been in jail for murder. For murder, for murdering somebody. Maybe it was like. The jury was like, okay, you did murder somebody, but it seems like you had it coming, so we'll take it kind of easy. Yeah, they don't really dig into it. Um, I guess uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page on parole right now because I was like, what What was the deal there? Apparently in 1984, Congress abolished par- a version of parole that mm-hmm. may- maybe that was why she was able to get out. I'm not sure. Usually you get like 25 to life for murder. Okay. And it's only been eight years. And everyone's just like, oh, I heard she's out on parole. I'm like, she's a murderer. I don't... (laughs) It's That's not a thing you want to be wrong about, like parole-wise. No. So here's why people think she did it. Um, they, They knew that he was the serial philanderer that she had kept detailed notes on him like stepping out on her and she herself was one of his adulterous affairs with his first wife so that always goes great um and the da made a pretty good case that like she had been tracking all of his stuff he was probably in another affair which made her mad and he died by taking what he thought was an antihistamine pill for his dog allergies but it was actually filled with crushed oleander, which mm-hmm. is a poisonous plant. Mm-hmm. And the reason that A is for alibi, Andrew, is that with this type of murder, there isn't alibis can't really factor in mm-hmm. because no one can. You could give you could put a poison pill in someone's ba- bathroom, and then you could just leave town and just wait for them to use it. Mm-hmm. Because so, people just use, just, if there's a pill in your bathroom, like people just eventually use it. Well, it's for, it's for his dog allergies, and he got <laughs> a dog for his kids, even though he was allergic to dogs. So it's like a is that whole what thing. D is for dog about? Oh, God, is that what that I one's wish. about? D is for dog, I wish. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nikki got fingered for the murder, and uh, also because, as Kinsey points out, that cops are very quick to just presume that if it was like a lover's spat, then it probably the lover did it. Like at one point she's like talking to the reader. She's like, you know, it just makes you think you sit down to dinner and all those people could kill you. <laughs> like, whoa, I don't think my family of five is going to murder me. But I don't think, but you can never be too careful. Once these you, days. Yeah. Once you see the world through that lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get, we meet a couple characters. We meet Condolan. Right, who is her contact in the homicide department, uh, and her relationship with him is the classic, like, oh, you're gonna help me with some stuff, but you're not gonna help me with everything because it has to be by the book. 
mm-hmm. and I uh, maybe I maybe you don't want to even know what I'm doing, Condolin, that kind of thing. They they have a relationship that spans multiple books. We also meet her landlord, Henry Pitts, who is an 80 year old man who makes crosswords and bread, um, and he. <laughs> what a weird. <laughs> what is? Hi, I'm Henry Pitts. I manage properties. I do crosswords and I make bread. That's no, my deal. I think he makes the crosswords. Himself. Oh, he makes crosswords? Yeah. And bread. And bread. And she remarks on him going on like he he's like a big coupon clipper and he goes on shopping trips and is like goes extreme couponing Ooh, and sometimes nice. he'll he'll end up with packets of pantyhose that he'll leave at Kinsey's door for her like hey i got these at the store and her response is not to say henry pitts why are you giving me pantyhose she says to the reader i am halfway in love with henry pitts i mean my understanding of extreme couponing is that you do end up just buying stuff because it's cheap. sure yes so i'm sure he unloads like lots of toilet paper and pantyhose on all of his neighbors all the oh, time God, that would i can't tell if that would be a great landlord relationship or a bad one i feel like you need to have a really good understanding of your landlord and you sure. have to know each other for a while first yeah before he can because like a big old package of pantyhose at the beginning of a relationship is weird but if it's after you've been friends for a while then hey maybe it's pretty chill that's true mm-hmm. uh he will give his bread to the nearby Hungarian restaurant, uh, Rosie's restaurant, where she's like a you know tough, no nonsense chef lady. It's kind of divey, and Kinsey regularly takes clients there to chat them up. Also, a hallmark of the series. And we also get a little sneak peek into her system of of digging through clues. She uses three by five note cards. Andrew, it's the eighties. <laughs> So she you're, makes, either, you're either trying to solve a crime or you're preparing for a science fair. Yeah. So she makes she writes down all the clues and all the suspects and then like puts them up on a vision board and tries to solve the murder or whatever. Right. Um, so the main the first wrinkle in the case. So obviously it's like this interesting thing where the woman accused of murder shows up and hires Kinsey to find out who the real murderer was. And right away, Kinsey's like. I guess I believe you. You don't, yeah, you don't seem like you're lying. Like, just kind of real quick out of the way, just gets a vibe that this woman is not, like, not causing trouble. Uh-huh. Um, which I suppose, like, if you got out of murder, out of prison after having gone there for murder, uh huh, there'd be no reason to hire someone to look into it unless you really didn't do it. Mm hmm. Or if you wanted to make it seem like you hadn't done it. But you already got out of jail. On probation, I don't know. No, that's fair. That's fair. Um, the, the wrinkle that Kinsey stumbles across is that four days after Lawrence was killed with the plant pill, uh, a young accountant named Libby Glass, who had been working for his firm... Uh, These are some names, huh? I know, I know. It's good. Uh, had also died uh from a similar poisoning incident so there's a she had an ex-boyfriend named lyle who made some statements about some unnamed attorney from santa Teresa coming down to la and and meeting with her um 
So there's the suspicion that he was romantically involved with Libby, uh, and they both took the poison pills a couple days apart. Okay. And whoever... Now, like, Libby's death was never brought up in the original murder trial. So this is new stuff that Kinsey is dealing with. Um, She also learns of another person of interest, Sharon Napier, who is a former secretary of Lawrence's. Um, And uh, keep in mind that this is also all eight years later. So whenever she goes to talk to someone... She's like trying to dig up stuff that's almost a decade old, which at times it seems a little easy for people to remember. And also, I think the part where it works is that there's like a weird emotional distance because like a bunch of the women that she meets in this book were all like wronged by this dude who got killed. Right. And none of them are like, oh, yeah, he deserved it. But they're, but they're also like. But it's also they're also probably not a lot of people who are super broken up about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like his kids took it hard. They're both like college age or like a little older, or his two older kids anyway. He's got like a twelve year old, um, by by Nikki. Um, and uh, so there is this sense that like for some of them it's drudging up old stuff, but for others it's just like yeah, that's that's a sad thing that happened. I guess he was sort of a jerk. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and the next, like the big character that she meets is Charlie Scorsoni, and he is the law partner with uh, Lawrence Fife. And she she remembers him from the trial as being this kind of like, I think he's like late thirties or around forty eight years ago. He's like this like kind of pudgy guy. Um, that she you know okay he seems like a nice enough guy. And she meets him again, and she is into it. Uh-oh. Charlie Scorsoni was big, but any excess weight I remembered was gone. He had thick, sandy hair, receding at the temples, a solid jaw, cleft chin, his blue eyes magnified by big, rimless glasses. His collar was open, his tie askew, sleeves rolled up as far as his muscular forearms would permit. He was tilted <laughs> back. He, would tilt, he was tilted back in his swivel chair with his feet propped up against the edge of the desk, and his smile was slow to form and smoldered with suppressed sexuality. Dang. Dang. I hope, I hope people think about me like that when, I, <laughs> when they see me for the first time. How are your forearms? The, the way My forearms, I think, are fine. Sure. Um, but just like oh, the way that he played his old Game Boy Advance smoldered with sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The way that he... Now I'm talking about myself now. The way uh, he sure, sure, sure. moved around the kitchen... Awkwardly trying to follow a recipe smoldered with suppressed sexuality. The way that he cut a tomato up like a six-year-old smoldered with repressed sexuality. The way that he used the wrong knife in every occasion smoldered with <laughs> sexuality. This is very kitchen-specific. Um, so she's into him. It's a very sexual area. Yeah, that's house. that's true. Food sure. is very sexual. Um, mm-hmm. And she's into him, and she's like a... As I alluded to in the first section, she is of a piece with the detective myth, the private eye myth, where she is this kind of cynical loner who doesn't really want to be connected to people. Um, she's happy to have these like acquaintances, like her crossword making, bread making landlord and <laughs> Rosie, who runs the restaurant. What does that his she resume like? look like? <laughs> I don't know. 
Uh, and she has like she has the woman at the answering service because Andrew, it's 1982. She uses an answering service, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, she has the lady who runs the hotel that she uses in Los Angeles, who she talks to all the time, and is like sort of intrigued by this private eye. But she doesn't really have close friends, and I think. In her bio, her in fiction biography, like both of her parents died when she was very young in a car crash. Um, and I think she was like raised by her aunt or something. So she is naturally detached. Uh, and this thing with Charlie is kind of throwing her for a, for a loop. Um, so the, the next, like the middle of the book is really about setting up, like any good mystery, is really about setting up the different suspects. Because I think at this point you're you're supposed to take Nikki out her word that she didn't kill him, because right. otherwise why is the book happening? Mm-hmm. Um, so Kinsey has to she talks to Charlie. She's like he, I guess he's a suspect, but man, he's sexy. And like I, I don't, the book is actually <laughs> you can not forgive as, a lot of things for somebody. Yeah, if they'd, if they'd smolder with repressed sexuality. And I, I'm being purposely glib because like. The book actually treats it with a little bit more sincerity where Kinsey is like, I would really like it if I could cross him off the list because I'm into him. Mm-hmm. Also, it's weird that I'm into him because I cannot cross him off this list. Sure. <laughs> um, she goes and meets his uh, Lawrence's first wife, Gwen, um, who really got screwed in their divorce proceedings. Um, there was back and forth adultery going on that she didn't want to admit to. So she like approached all of the negotiations with this guilt that she didn't know at the time uh, was also shared by him. So uh, that scene where she meets Gwen is like, it feels very law and ordery because Gwen is like working in the dog grooming parlor that she owns. And it's like, Hey, can I ask you some questions about your murdered husband while you groom a dog named <laughs> Waffles? Like, and she goes so key to the investigative like crime genre, though, uh-huh. is you always have to have somebody doing something with their hands while they're interrogated. Yes, and you know, moving dogs around and clipping them and putting bows on them while you're like, yeah, I mean, I hated that guy. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't kill him. I didn't kill him. Um, and she also meets this wife of a judge, uh, Charlotte Mercer, who mostly exists to cast suspicion on everyone else in the book. Um, She was sleeping with Lawrence, and she brings up that he was also sleeping with that woman, Sharon's mom, and gave her a nervous breakdown. So, like, Mm -hmm. Sharon had been blackmailing him. She is like, why do you believe Nikki so much? Um, Kinsey describes this woman, Charlotte, as, I had the feeling that sarcasm came easily to her, an automatic reaction like someone with a smoker's cough. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Sure, good simile. Um, and then she also goes down to L.A. to meet Libby's family, um, as well as her Libby's boyfriend Lyle. And again, this is all eight years later. So like, she meets Libby's family. Libby's dad has been in a severe car accident where he is basically paralyzed and needs to be taken care of every day. Lyle comes by to help them, so he's got this like good guy image. But he's really distrustful of Kinsey, so you don't know, like, did he kill Lawrence because he was upset that Lawrence was sleeping with Libby or something like that. Uh Um, You get this little beat from the mom where, because it was a poisoning thing where she took medicine she shouldn't have, 
Uh, she really just wants to convince herself that no one wanted to kill her daughter. It was just like a mistake. And that's that's the kind of stuff that crops up along the book that feels really interesting and human where um, these bit characters get a little like, man, why do I have to be in a murder mystery? Like, why? <laughs> I just want to live my life. Why did Why did my like sweet little daughter who was just a really talented accountant get like offed in some conspiracy tied up in this guy who was sleeping with everybody um that's the stuff that i think really works for me from from grafton's writing um, you know one thing i'm sort of curious about yeah. listening to you talk about this and especially like in the context of the answering service is that <laughs> grafton said that kinsey does not um age at the same uh, in real time yeah and so sure. as the world around grafton is changing dramatically like first personal computers and then smartphones and all those other tech stuff that's happening like is kinsey still stuck somewhere in the 80s by the end by like why is for yesterday and how does that affect how the books read i guess i believe that is the case she um in another one, she's another interview I sound I've read. Kinsey therefore is still in the eighties, researching and solving crimes with shoe leather and index cards. So I think the entire series takes place in the eighties, in the early to mid eighties. It's interesting that it went from being a contemporary thing to sort of being period, yeah, crime novels, yeah. yeah. And, and there's some other interesting technology stuff that crops up. So like I mentioned the answering service and that actually becomes the fact that she is juggling phone calls f- from people in different towns. So like after she goes to vi- visit the glasses in LA, she takes a trip to Las Vegas to try and track down this woman, Sharon. And while she is bouncing between Santa Teresa, uh, LA and Vegas, she is constantly like calling her answering service and getting messages from people and people are calling the hotel in LA and leaving messages for her. So like people are able to track where she is or not. And she also then has to track some other people who call her based on where they claimed they were Mm -hmm. when they left her a message, which not all of them are telling the truth. Oh no! And then there's another, like somebody is involved. One of the characters is involved in like an embezzlement scandal that has to do with the computerization of records (laughs) where like they're moving accounts into some software so it it's very easy for someone to like set up a little kind of siphoning account without anyone catching it easily like office space yeah like an office space thing yeah for sure (laughs) which is in itself a reference to superman 3 um sure the so like that's an interesting thing where like the the type of research that she does on people is usually like calling up a contact somewhere and then l- convincing them to just pull up some records i guess like calling a detective she knows in vegas to look into where someone lives or like going into their house and looking through their bills which nowadays you just have to find out what their dog's name was and then you just unlock their bank account i guess <laughs> Like the the what's interesting T is for two factor authentication. Yeah, but to think about it a little bit more deeply, like some of the stuff she does is not overtly illegal, right? She's just kind of 
talking to enough people to get them to give her information. Whereas now I think it's probably easier to get that information digitally, but you are probably breaking a rule slash law more overtly. Yeah, it just has to do with like what's in the public record and what is not, I yeah, guess. That's true. That's true. Um so the the mystery kind of gets set up in the middle where it's the main question is like again, who did kill him eight years ago? Like Gwen had a motive, maybe Sharon had a motive, why was Libby involved? Um and overall the mystery shifts toward Maybe they were not committed by the same person. Maybe one followed the other. Uh, Copycat. Yes, sort of. Um, So then we're going to get into spoiler territory pretty soon. So if you are really interested to read A is for Alibi and you haven't yet, and you're like, oh, God, I can't stand to know what happens. um, I guess skip to the the end of the podcast and listen to us do all of our normal announcements. But get out. the the big reveals a it comes you know you after a bunch of like circumstantial evidence gets confirmed um she traces it back to uh his wife Gwen who killed him because she was just mad at him and like that that tracks with this kind of like this was a philandering dude who really wronged a bunch of people and and these women really like have it in for him in a reason in a way that Kinsey really understands there's mm-hmm. a bizarre subplot where she is doing pi work for an insurance firm where sh- what she has to do is take photos of a woman hanging house plants to confirm that she didn't actually uh like fall and hurt herself like she's okay. trying to she's trying to get like five grand from some store because she tripped on their sidewalk and so what Kinsey does is roll up outside this woman's house and take photos of her hanging really heavy houseplants to prove that she didn't actually get hurt, which, A, is a wild thing to have to do. Uh, but in Kinsey's mind, she understands revenge and, like, murder because you were wronged way more than she understands, like, let me scam this craft store for five grand. Uh it's an interesting little like character note that in the moment I wasn't convinced needed to be in the book. Mm-hmm. But as you watch her sympathize with Gwen and sympathize with Nikki and, and the women that were wronged by Lawrence, it makes a little bit more sense where it's like, here is someone who is maybe doesn't want to, but very capable of emotionally connecting with both victims and perpetrators um of these types of crimes but doesn't get it when it's like oh i'm just out to game the system because i'm greedy um that that's an interesting character trait that i i imagine would will crop up in future books um but the other big thing and this is the other big reveal is that like charlie the dude that she's super into is involved in a big cover-up and the particulars are not necessary uh to go into here but it's like she does sleep with him a couple times. It, the language is a little weird. She says that making love to him was like being taken into a big warm machine. <laughs> and then she later says... Add that to the list of descriptions from this book that I hope are applied to me at some point. She also says, he did things to me that I'd only read about in books, which is okay. Can sure. you be more specific? She is not more specific. Oh, um, boy. They they have this, like, 
she won't let him get close because she can't cross him off the list and he accuses her of just doing that because she doesn't want to be close to anyone well lo and behold he should be on the list for various reasons and uh the person that she does have to kill is 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 charlie okay um and that is like this i'm reminded of how the movie version of Casino Royale treated Bond as this, like, here is an origin story for why he is the way he is with women and what it was like for him to tackle this, like, his first big case and stuff like this, where this does, this kind of stuff is written into the novel in a good, like, origin story way, where she's gotten her hands dirty, she's dealt with some stuff before, but, like, she got personally connected to this case and... It will inform how she deals with cases like this moving forward. Um, and I also want to say it was him because I thought the book did a really good job of misdirecting. Like, you were suspicious of him, but Grafton never really told you why. She never really tipped her hand on why you shouldn't trust him. Sure. Um, so it actually, like, as the reader... I had this weird moment where I'm like, I can't come up with why I don't like him. Like that in and of itself, not because she convinced me it was someone else, but because I couldn't I couldn't pin it on him. And so I had to trust that the book was going to reveal things in, in due time. Huh. Okay. Um, it's not a very action-heavy book, though maybe that's just my own ex- inexperience with the genre. Um, there's like three big action sequences and they're not, it feels like it's more about the, more about the investigation than about the action. Yeah. And there's a lot of like paragraphs of her talking about the notes that she takes. There's, um, there's lots of references to eating in this book. I did a search. She mentions breakfast eight times. Well, and then she, there's that bread landlord. The bread man, landlord. The bread man. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about eating McDonald's. Like, here's just how one chapter ends. When I got back to the motel, I showered and got back into my jeans, and I stopped by McDonald's and had a quarter pounder with cheese, fries, and a medium Coke. By then, it was 645. I filled up the car with gas and headed over the hill into Sherman Oaks. End of chapter. I guess that... I guess you would do that to make it more plausible as a written record of of what you yes did. that's fair like it that's like it fair. feels like the kind of detail that doesn't fit in a murder mystery but if you're <laughs> writing up a report you might be like you know i don't know what details are going to be important and what won't i don't know if i have to remember where i was at some point like two weeks from now i might as well just like get all this stuff down yeah and, and it is also like those are now, easy. Could that also be product placement for McDonald's? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly do not know if uh, McDonald's does product placement in books. C- contrast that with in the final like action sequence where she is uh, like scampering around this house that's up against the the beach and the ocean is in the background. The night was still. The ocean pounding. A recurrent thunder like a storm about to break. There was only a faint crust of moon along. Against the hazy night sky, it was chilly too, the air smelling lush and damp. The flashlight cut a narrow trail down the drive, illuminating in a sudden band of white the gateway across the carport. So, like, she can so paint a picture. Literary. Yeah, she can paint a picture pretty good. I think when the but books... you talk about the like the crust of the moon, like I did catch that as I was as stuff. I was reading it out mm-hmm. loud. She's really into crusts and eating crusts. Mm-hmm. Um, the prose initially did not wow me. I thought it was pretty like it's pretty perfunctory. Um, 
But every once in a while, she'll pull something like that. And you're like, okay, I see what you're up to. You're painting a picture. Sure. Um, feels more cinematic than like classic kind of literary writing in, in a way. Um, Which makes sense given that I mean, yeah, this one sure. would have been the one she was writing while she was still screenwriting. I'm, I'm, so reading, that, I'm yeah. reading that into it, whether or not it's true, but it, I, I mm-hmm. imagine there's some overlap. I mean, she did credit the screenwriting experience with helping her write fiction. So yeah. I, I don't think that's too big a leap to make, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's an interesting little mystery. I, I Because I don't read a lot in this genre, and I don't know that you have either, I'm never quite sure what I am expecting. And it always, usually it ends up feeling like a more, uh, a meatier version of, of a tentpole law and order episode like because i don't read a lot of crime fiction so like i'm not as steeped in what the classics are up to yeah so, like I, I feel like if you come into one of these with law and order on the brain you're that's, probably not too far off from what you're getting yeah i also came into this book with uh the recent jessica jones series on the brain because i've just been listening to i've like, just been watching that so the in particular the relationship between her and the actual like law enforcement characters in this book jived with that type of like I'm operating in a way that needs to be legal, but if but that means I can't tell you everything. Her whole condolin thing like kind of jives with that um, in, in a way that that you know speaks to how the genre works. So sure, yeah, uh, is fun to to read that this whole series is confined to the 80s which actually makes me like more excited to maybe go dip back into it <laughs> just because there's like just a lot of a lot of people talking about diet fads and like by name like we're talking about the scarsdale diet uh-huh. and we're you know talking about cutting candy out of our diet it's yeah, like so like how much of that 80s period like hyper specific 80s stuff makes it to like why is for yesterday everybody's wearing turtlenecks like in california <laughs> it's like a whole thing um yeah it's... i'd also be curious like so when we read that uh discworld book people oh, sure. were pretty quick to tell us hey here's what like the best ones are like it's yeah, fine yeah. i understand why you started from the beginning but here's what the, the good stuff is so i wonder if there's a comparable thing to be done for grafton's series here yeah i think the ones that that received like praise and awards for burglar corpse and i think gumshoe also got a lot of attention but there are probably others that people really dig so i think the first one as i was researching the first one that broke out successfully was fugitive oh oh yeah um, yeah and then then from there i think they were usually on the uh new york Times bestseller lists and starting with ella's for loveless or Ellis for Lawless, um, ten of them <laughs> entered at number one. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sue Grafton, for this uh for this yarn, for spinning this yarn. Um, yeah. I I had a good time solving the mystery. I didn't solve the mystery. No, Kinsey but solved the mystery. Kinsey did, but you read about it. I did read about it. Um, Andrew, thank you for your list of books. I'm gonna be thinking about G is for gun for a little G is while. For gun. <laughs> Uh, I, j- I just want to read that mystery book. I know. Uh, Grafton fans, Grafton heads, Grafters. Graftones. Uh, right. Ooh, Graftones. That's what it is. Write us in uh, at overduepod at gmail.com. Tell us what your favorite Graftonian mystery is. 
um, or hit us up on social media at facebook.com slash overdue pod and twitter.com slash overdue pod. Got a list of folks who responded to our April list of books as well as our Gone with the Wind episode. Uh, thank you inc- to a bunch of them, including Dina, Natasha, Stephen, Jessica, Danielle, Rebecca, Russell, Albie, Melissa, Cheyenne, Dion, Michael, Anna, Carl, Erica, Tessa, Becky, Melanie, Amy, Corey, Katie, Brendan, Anthony, and Marcy. Thanks, y'all. Man, your vocal fry is just... Something happened. Andrew, take over. What happens next? What happens next? You go to overduepodcast.com. It's our internet website. Up there, we have links to iTunes and RSS and Google Play. Those are ways you can subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out. Um, Also, as we mentioned halfway through the show, we've got some changes to our Patreon page that you should go check out. That's patreon.com slash overduepod, or you can click the support the show link at overduepodcast.com. We think that you will enjoy the changes we made. We think. We think. We think. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else? Anything else? Next week, I'm reading uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Buckle and up. And that's what's up, right? We're going into the virtual zone. We're going into the virtual video game 80s world. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Until we talk to you next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.